0: Sometimes you won't know what a person has accomplished or overcome until you get the chance to hear their story. I've realized that being grateful takes being intentional, and it's inspiring when you learn what others are grateful for. Welcome to the I Am Grateful For podcast. I am Hope Lavender. I Am Grateful For hopes to encourage people to think about what they're grateful for despite hardships and difficult situations, to choose to look past the negativity and the temptation to spread it by facilitating an atmosphere of gratitude instead. We aren't denying that life is hard and unfortunate things happen, but we are hoping to share the joy of knowing that nonetheless we can still find something to be grateful for. On this podcast, you will hear stories from people from all walks of life about the places they've been, the decisions they've made, and how those decisions have shaped them into the person they are today. So let's jump into today's episode. In this episode, my husband and I got the pleasure of driving to Thomasville, Georgia to meet Jack Hadley, the owner of the Jack Hadley Black History Museum. Um, It really is amazing to see his collection. If you can, I totally encourage you to go check it out. We recorded this back in 2018, so the audio quality is a little low, but we hope you enjoy getting to know Jack as much as we did.
1: Hey, Jack, thank you so much for interviewing with the I Am Grateful For podcast. We are so thankful for you making time out of your week. I know that Black History Month just happened, and it was a busy month. You had a lot of people coming through and getting to check out the Black History Museum. So um, I just wanted to ask if you could fill in our listeners with just who Jack is, maybe a little bit about, like, how you
2: got to where you are now and... Well, can I call you Hope? Yes, of well, course. this is Hope.
1: It's a long story.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I always tell uh, my guests when they come to music and they want to hear my story of when I'm actually writing something. I let them know how it began. I'm from a family of 14, well, actually 15 brothers and sisters. Wow. And I'm number 10 in my family. And uh, my dad, my mom and dad raised us on Pepper Hill Plantation. Uh, that's a plantation located about seven miles south and going toward Tallahassee. Uh, my dad worked at for 53 years wow. and we lived in the house that we was all, not all born in that house, but the, the mm-hmm. first three older kids were born in the city cause my dad moved back on the plantation after leaving there and picked thought that the grass was green on the other side of the fence, mm-hmm. but he realized that Pepp had more to offer, so he moved mm-hmm. back. And so the rest of the uh, the uh, the 13 kids I guess four, 12 kids were born on the plantation and we all grew up out there until 1947 when uh, my dad decided said like, he needed to buy a home because he knew one day that the law was going to call him home and he didn't want to leave mm-hmm. his wife and the kids on the plantation so he bought a home and he's, but he continued to work on the plantation but it's going to school out there. we went to school first Our first my first three grades schools in, in a two-room school on the plantation. There was two of them. Uh, we lived in a rural part of the plantation where we had no running water and no electricity, but the people that lived in the main caliphus of, of pepe Plantation, they had the running water and le- electricity because Mrs. Pansy, the owner of pepe Plantation, she that was like a big resort to her. They mm-hmm. came down in 1891 and bought the plantation up because it's not a slave plantation. Be okay. proud of that um, back in 1865, all the plantations in the South were slave plantations, but this particular one, after the Northerns, after the Southerners could not maintain the Northerners came down and they bought this land up dirt cheap, and they made hunting plantations out of them. They would come down during the fall and hunt birds, quails, and stuff like that. Then in the spring, they head back after Easter celebration and go back to Maine and Cleveland where they lived at. So, he, my dad worked there for 53 years, so we moved into the city. Because I started in the third grade, I always tell the kids I got put back in a grade, in second grade. So I was, in, after I graduated. I was 20 years old. I started at school here, Little Doug, as they call it. It was the called Susan Dunlap School, and uh, we, and of course, when I went through they called Allen Normal School, but they changed the name later on to Susan Dunlap. Uh, so we went there my first, uh, my next three years, and then eventually moved, walked. From, from the side of town by three miles every day to get to school here, Doug, the mill school. So we went to mill school here, Douglas Dewar City. Then I graduated in 1956. 1956, it goes to another story because two weeks after then, I joined the military, followed wow. three other guys, and, and then, of course, my life changed after I went in the military. And, uh, but my sisters and some of my my three sisters and brothers, but they went to college. My dad didn't have to pay anything. Mrs. Panzer, the last owner, the plantation. she provided education fees for the kids to go off to college. They went to FAMU, FSU, Savannah State, Fort Valley, and all, they didn't go to Auburn, but there were other kids on the plantation that went to Auburn, but it was just a matter of phone calls. And uh, mm-hmm. she would provide that tuition fee for the kids to go to school. So my dad didn't have to worry about paying that. However, from a music background family, my, my sister and brother went on scholarships also, so it wasn't a whole wow. bunch. Uh, so, Uh, I pick up the rest of that after we finish probably into my life but it goes on not just just beginning of coming out of high school
1: Okay, so from going up to high school you got the chance to even see the transition and know like wow, like dad knew what it was like before being on the plantation and then live three years on, your dad worked 53 years on the plantation itself so you got to kind of see how things were operated and just go to school and kinda of experience so your brothers and sisters growing up and going to college thanks yes. to the generosity of Miss Pansley? But let me yeah,
2: let me back off a little bit. Also, mm-hmm. my dad was named Dennis and Rosetta Hatley. Like okay. I said, they was fourteen they were fourteen kids. One kid died at I found the birth, so that's what we says fourteen, lived a productive life. Okay. And my dad went for his fifth grade and my mom went to the seventh grade the school. That's the education they received. But I yeah. think they saw that when they had to struggle, you know, for themselves, because I could go on and talk about he's, he's a, my dad is a son of a slave. Uh, Richard a Sr. who was a slave. He was a mulatto, born in 1822 and died in 1910. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard's dad was Simon a Sr., who was a white slave master, who was one of the fighters of Thomasville, Georgia. His, uh. his, his name is on a big bronze plaque. Uh, along with other finds, Thomas in 1825 down at the courthouse yard, and uh, that's senior Simon had senior deep uh, senior, so he's my dad's but it's my great grandfather, the slave master, and and um, even to this day, the whites on, uh, on 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 in the Bryan's family in Beeston, Georgia, they are the grand grandkids of Simon senior also. they knowledge, we are kin folks. I even I even got photos with it just in 2015. The, the elder one, who's about 97 years old, took us to the grave site where Simon Sr. is buried at. Wow. Uh, they, and, and off the Down near the Jack Robinson monument on the Fair Oaks Plantation, uh, not Fair Oaks, but on the uh, Hadley, Hadley uh, Fair Road, way back in the woods, they're all buried on top of the ground. So wow. I, I said this to, to let you know that today people begin to understand that whether you're white or black, there had to have been a beginning. Yeah. And a lot of people don't real, they don't know who was their great grandparents. But we know for a fact that Simon Senior, white slave master, was our grandfather because I got first cousins that went to uh, during the migration period back in the 1940s, went to Philadelphia, and they look more whiter than black than they are today. They got the same features and everything. You—you wow. uh, you look into them. people ask me where, where, where did I get my eyes from? I said, well, they came from my grand—my great grandfather. It's a mm-hmm. mixture. From um, being my my grandfather's a mulatto, so my great grandfather Simon Sr. was was a white man. So I'm just saying, it's just and I'm, people acknowledge that I got my white cousin, not not pushing or bragging about it, but it's the idea that they come to the museum, we mm-hmm. greet each other. I've been down to my cousin's house in Beeston, where he lived the Bryan family. They, their grandfather was a doctor, but he married he married his one of Simon Sr.'s daughters. So that piece is just to let mainly the world know that that it's okay the things that happened back in the past we got no control over it but yeah. it's okay to, to pass on to our kids who their ancestors was what they're white or black so that they can they don't go through the struggle today that we went through or past, in the past trying to identify through DNA if you know it for a fact share it with the public share it with your family let mm-hmm. them know about it so my kids, they all know I have my grandfather's bull home that he used as a slave, that he took that bull home and the slave, his, friend, his father, Simon, put, had, he's a mulatto, so he didn't allow him to go to the field, but he used that bull home to call the slaves, wake them up in the morning, to send them to the field, and then he called the women's back at, uh, at uh, 10 o'clock to feed the babies, because some of the women were slaves and they had kids, plus they fed. The slave master's kids, babies, also, uh-huh. M- nursed them uh-huh. as well. And, and then, at 12 o'clock, he called the rest of them for dinner. Then, at 3 o'clock, he called the women's back again, same thing, and then called them in the, in the afternoon. If you saw the movie, 12 Years of Slavery, and they blow that home, that's what my grandfather did from the time he was a little boy until he was about 43 years old uh-huh. when freedom came around in 1865. And uh, and so, but and also along with that, the slave master Simon had the scene, he also taught him how to save money so and he worked a little odd jobs. he didn't go to the field but he had those jobs as he grew up as grew, growing up as a man he learned a little different trades and so he made a little extra money on the side but he was smart enough to put some of that money away so when freedom came along he had saved up something like eight hundred dollars a lot of the paper money was all right away because he buried it in a chip box down near a someplace only he knew it was that so but he took that money he bought three on the of the land wow. three on, down on that on the turn of the road in, in between in beast georgia and uh, some of the land, some of the land today is still in the family So we, we, I look at it this way, I guess the slave master treated him as his own son and didn't abuse him uh, because had he, had he had done it, he probably wouldn't have shared the story. He probably wouldn't have took time to tell his kids what happened. And my dad never had a, a hard word to say about him because he remembered him as a little boy. When my dad left the farm, he left his farm because he bought a farm. My grandfather bought a farm. And uh, my dad left the farm. He was 15 years old to get out on his own. And cause later on he went to Pep he went to Pepia Plantation uh for a while, and then he went to Flowers Bakery and then he came back to the plantation stayed there for the next fifty-three years. So mm-hmm. it's a whole lot, you know what I mean? But that can sort of give him an idea exactly what transpired mm-hmm. at that particular time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, then then all of us went through school, two brothers went in World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, one brother went, but he was a preacher, so they they, they let him go back, they didn't him in. And then a brother went in the Korean War. And because I'm part of the Vietnam, Vietnam era, I went in during the time, just after the Korean War ended, I went in 56, right after I got high school. Wow.
1: Thank you so much for your service, and even your whole family. It's amazing to hear not only how you guys were super active in the community, working hard, and but then we're still willing to go and, and work hard for our country, too, and really fight for not only our rights here, but even nationally. And I really respect you all for doing that. Thank you so much.
2: And you know what, when you said, thank you, thank you for my service, but that was a time that when we went, went to Vietnam and came back, no such animal took place. Really? They would then said, thank you for your service. You know, when thank you uh. for your service came about, back when the desert storm took place in the 90s, see, we was we was considered, when we went to Vietnam, we was considered as baby killers when we came mm. back because... We was finding a wall that people didn't understand, but we went because we swore that we was defending our country, yeah. so we had no choice but to go there. They' dropped bombs on villages and stuff like that, but there was nothing they could do about it but in the nineties, when America got involved with the De Storm War in the Middle East, when they stopped when the military stopped plucking those sons and daughters out of banks that were week weekend wars, going overseas, spending six months. Spending a year away from their wives and their mothers, their children, daughters, that's when America began to realize the importance of a military. That's when they start saying thank you. Before then, no, nah, yeah. it was nothing like that. It's just, but but now they do it because now they now you, now you done got my son and daughter. You know, shipped them over. Some of them come back and buy the bags. You mm. know, and uh, and so now they thank you. But my my problem with thank you, is that. When you said thank you, and then you shake my hand and walk away, but you're not asking Catching me all, all my story. experience. You're not yeah. you're not hearing my story. You know what we did. You're not asking me no questions. You're not asking me questions. Mm-hmm. You know what did you do in the military? Where were you stationed at? What what about your family? Don't just say thank you and then walk away. Thank you very much. So that's that's my only problem with that issue. Mm-hmm. When people said thank you because of the fact that they don't expand enough, and and hopeful mm-hmm. that. And I was posed for a question here to another organization, wanted to, to ask me, what do I be thinking about all the time? Well, that's <laughs> one of the issues. <laughs> I said, I think about that that little piece back right there. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know how she's gonna do it as article, but anyways. So anyway, I, I I didn't want to go that far with you, but I given no, I just want since you brought that out, the point that I like to make.
1: No, I appreciate you making that mm, point because, mm, I think even growing up for me, I had a, a granddad who was involved in the World Wars and. Um, so he always taught me to make sure that I stopped and said thank you. And mm-hmm. and so I grew up hearing that, but it's, it's humbling to hear that there was a time where that wasn't normal, yes. you know, and mm-hmm. that that respect wasn't given, that sacrifice wasn't given, that respect wasn't given for the sacrifice that was made. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, thank you for sharing that with our audience, because sure. I think it's good for us to walk away knowing like, okay, next time I stop and I ask somebody, Or say to someone thank you for your service maybe take a couple extra seconds and be like i would love to get to know where you're stationed or what did you do or what would you know what were your experiences like that if you'd like to share and really care about people Mm -hmm. so yeah i would love to know any of your experiences where you're stationed where (laughs) you share if you'd like to talk about those things as well Mm -hmm. because i can't even imagine especially growing up as a millennial where we have people who are going to the military but it's not like a reality of our everyday waking up hearing stories in the media bombs and stuff and I mean we do every now and then but the media is so skewed mm-hmm. but how how was that experience for you?
2: Well, let me, let me go back I pick up where I slept off when I graduated from high school. I knew that uh, that I needed to do something but one day I was listening to three of my buddies friends and they said I was going in the military. That's where we graduated and uh and I decided to go also. Mm-hmm. And we were all, and they said, they go going the Air Force. I said, I'm going to go too. Because in my mind, I, did not, I didn't realize until later years that my daddy was getting help from Mrs. Pansy. So I thought this was going to be a burden on my dad to send me off to college. When I already got uh, two, three sisters in school, in college at the same time. And, gotcha. never, and I just knew that. And, I said, and then I found out, found out later that I could have gotten a scholarship to play football, but I had already joined the military. And and so so that was history. I went in the military and uh, I you know, I figured that things would be cool and everything and my, my experience, you know, first time leaving Thomasville back in nineteen fifty six fifty six, living away from home other than school activities. So we got stationed I went to Atlanta, Georgia. Didn't sleep that whole night because I had never been used to a lot of traffic. You mm. know, we did living in a barn I saw a barn like my car, I what it was. It looked like it was just a big all hear that traffic, so we didn't sleep that night. But, but anyway, we took our examination, went on to Lackland Air Force Base, and that's when I realized that uh, that they were trying to make a man of us. You know, it was hot, guys falling out. It's almost like when I'm here today. My my got an uncle that was in World War One. They 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 traveled from, from by ship. It took them almost a month to get from the states to France by ship. Then they got over. Then they got there. They offloaded them, the blacks, all black units, and then they they marched them miles to get to the front line. But they walked over dead bodies, and the commander and the and the commander would tell you, keep on walking, don't stop, keep on walking. Well, in the and and that that story he said tell about World War One veterans. That's why the unknown soldiers they call them unknown soldiers, and because he and he kept on and did do it. The commander would tell them to keep on going till they got to the front line. Got to the front line, the war was over, and uh, so they. They, but they treat them all kind of way. But in, when I first went in the military, lack like air force base, I would see guys fall out you know, because it was so hot. See, military now, they, they understand that better now. They know, they know that when it's they, the heat, so things changed since 1956. So, but the heat, these guys would fall out. But I was fortunate enough, I made it through. And they fall out, then they put water on them and do what they need to do to bring them back and then they yeah. take them to the barracks. But, uh, but after training with the tech school, and then because I got my first assignment, and, uh, we, and my first assignment was at, uh, at Wyoming, Shire, Wyoming. I went out there for technical school to learn how to be a supply man, and uh, learn how to type and all that good stuff. And then I got assigned to Eglin Air Force Base down the in Florida, in uh, England, Fort Walton Beach, Florida, Fort Walton Beach. Stayed there about a year. And then my next assignment uh, was Saudi Arabia. Wow. And that uh, left me the Saudi Arabia and the coast. I knew my wife. You know, we met in high school. She was, she was, we met in high school. So we dated for about five years. And so, but then I got this assignment to go to Saudi Arabia. Then I sort of worried about the fact that, uh, that I'm going to leave my wife back behind, you know what I mean? And then yeah. I'll leave my, my girlfriend at the time. We weren't married then. And so, uh, what I did was for me, when I first got the assignment, my wife, she and I had broke up. You know what I mean? So when we got back together, I said, hey, I got the cream of the crop and told you I thought it'd be cool. I'm going to get my act together, you know? So (laughs) so we, we got back together and we got engaged and we got married. shipped out, and I left her home on. The, she lived on planta- She lived on Greenwood plantation. That's where she was from. That's which is about two miles west of here, going to Cairo, Georgia. And so she was raised and born out there. And so I left her. and She had finished school, and uh, and one day I got a letter from her. She said she had been accepted to go to nursing school
1: oh, wow.
2: in Jacksonville, Florida. And the only thing that goes in my mind is the Lord have mercy my wife. It's a married night, She going to nurse school, going off to college. She going to be around how long, dude. You know I mean? So, <laughs> so anyway, you know, so I, 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 and then I, you know, I, I guess somehow I accepted, you know, because she didn't mention she had applied for school. We didn't talk about that part. So she went to nurse school and she stayed a year. And uh, I spent my year over there in Saudi Arabia. And my regret for being in Saudi Arabia that I did not take the advantage. I've gone to Israel when I should have. i was mm. so busy trying to make a couple of dollars, yeah. you know, and uh, extra money on the side. But that was a great experience. I mean, you know, you get to know quite a few people, but the, the culture over there was entirely different than what we what was used to. And uh, where you sleeping? In the, were you sleeping at nighttime, we was up at nighttime working because it was cool in the daytime over there. But I survived through that, that tour and so on. We came back. Then we united together in Springfield, Massachusetts. And that wasn't cold, that wasn't hot, that was cold up there in Massachusetts, so we stayed there for about five years, I think five years, and a couple of my, two of my kids was born at Springfield. Mm-hmm. And because my wife, she, 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 um, she just she put to finish one year at the nursing school, and then we went to Springfield, we started having a family, and mm-hmm. uh, we stayed there for about five years until I got assignment to go to BLF, Force Base, California. And so we, uh, we left California with the two kids. And, uh, in fact, my daughter this morning was asking me about that trip. My daughter's 56, only 57 years old today, and about the experience of we traveled. Because when we traveled back in those days, uh, you would leave Massachusetts, and you would drive 18 hours all the way. Ooh. If you did not find a hotel, banking lights would color, color, color. Then you might have to keep on chucking because no white will let you in their hotel. They said no room in the inn.
1: Wow. So
2: so we would travel either that or pull aside. And I was not realizing I was putting my kids at risk taking some pills to keep me woke. And we would mm-hmm. drive all the way to Thomasville, 18 hours straight through. And uh, so then we stopped in Thomasville, you know, be a couple of weeks here. And, you know, then we moved on. We moved on. Then we moved to California. And my daughter was asking me this morning, Dad, would tell the story about when we. Where were we at when I was about, well, she wanted to know what age she was. She was almost three years old. Hmm. And we was traveling through, going to California, build Apple Space. And uh, we would travel, you No, know, still the same way. You know, if you didn't find a signs of color, flashing, then you just keep on traveling. And so we got in Dallas, Texas, and my kids whining. I had two kids. My, my oldest daughter, she was three years old, son was about two, and needed to stop. And uh, so I just pulled her this particular Hotel. I'm mean not a hotel, but it's a restaurant. And the guy said, "I can serve you, but you got to go around in the kitchen." To eat. Mm. And so, we I had no choice. I got two yeah. little kids that yeah. needed some potential, needed you know bathroom breaks and all this other stuff. And we need, and so we pulled in the back. And my little daughter, she, my daughter in fact, she's asking me this morning, "Daddy, what?" Did I, I said, "You said, why did we have to eat in this back in this kitchen?" Because she was big enough to ask questions and know mm. that it was it was something wrong that we got to eat back here and other people sitting up front you know, mm-hmm. in, in the rest So, And we left there and uh and I don't I think I come drove all night all the way to California. No, to Arizona. Got to Arizona in early in the morning, Tucson, Arizona. And fortunately we found a hotel downtown. We and my mother was with us. My mom was sixty years old at the time. Wow. And I thought she was an old lady, but she she was sixty. <laughs> and uh traveled with us. So she so we pulled in that morning and that step in a hotel that day because it was so hot and mm-hmm. my, my 1957 Chevy didn't have no air conditioning, and so we traveled and so and they said travel at nighttime is cool so we mm. we slept all during the day and then we got up late that evening we hit the road and we traveled went on to California you know strobe all night till we got to Pasadena, California got there the next morning where my sister lived and then of course we dropped my mother off then I went on to Air Force base California and wow. stayed there for a couple of years then I needed rest. <laughs> let you those. I'll pick up on that later.
1: No, yeah, so there is even though you came from Thomasville, you were able to travel. You got to go to Atlanta, you got to go over to Saudi Arabia, even make it back to Massachusetts. So you've you've been a world traveler. Well and then,
2: and then and then when we when we left uh, we left BLFO space, I got assigned to uh, I went to Ty- Ty- I think it was Taiwan Taipei. Okay. And then I spent a tour through to the uh, and I might get my my, my my stations mixed up in because I, it's a secret that so we went. But then I spent a year in Taiwan, Taipei, and then I came to, uh, Agin, I'm not Egan, but I went to um, uh, Luke, Air Force Base, Arizona, mm-hmm. and I spent a couple of years in Luke. It's real hot out there. But it was a nice place. It was, it was wow. a beautiful country out there, Phoenix, Arizona. Stayed there. And I'm making rank all along. And uh, and then we got assigned to Spain, and mm. Spain, and that in fact, uh, yeah, we went to Spain, and we spent three mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. tour in Spain, Seville, Spain, Oof. and I was stationed at Lindsay Air Station, and uh, that's what you know. Again, we we spent the three years there. That was a great tour, and being three years in Spain. Then we left Spain, and we came to Eglin Air Force Base and down at uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida again, and, and my kids uh, started did junior high school, and high school, so they went to school there at, at Fort Walton Beach. We all had three kids there. And so they, uh, want, my oldest daughter graduated in, in 1978 from the school in Fort Walton Beach, Nashville High School. And then we got reassigned again to uh, Germany and wow. then went to Germany, spent three years in Germany, uh, Lindsay, I stayed in Station Wiesbaden, Germany. And that's where my, my, my youngest daughter, she was in, I think, the uh, freshman high school. My, my, my son was in junior high school when we got there. because they both, my two youngest kids, graduated from there. That's where my that's where we I got involved with Black History when I was stationed in, station in Wiesbaden, Germany. My son came home one day, as a junior in high school, complaining about Black History Week, and the uh, the teachers they were going to the Department of Defense School, and uh, and, and the teachers had no interest in Black History Week, evidently. So he came on complaining, and that's when I got off my backside, and we put together a collage of pictures, and uh, it, Jim took him to school. A few days later. Everybody liked it. liked it. Then it gave me the ideas to do the squadron command, could we organize a Black History program for the squadron? And mm-hmm. uh, the commander okayed that. And then when I made the announcement to the squadron that we're going to do a Black History program, Black History Week, uh, that's when it's amazing. Artifacts came out of the the young people, boys and girls' room, because I was in the first combat communication squadron, and we would, if always, when there's a new a remote site set up. We'd be the first ones in and the last ones out, okay. and so uh, so we would set up a communication gear, and so they would when you go there the commanders sort of leaning, you know they're not you're not restricted, to, you know like normally at a regular base. So guys would get out and go to the community in the village and buy stuff like that. So we had artifacts set up. We did that for about a couple of years, and then I, I retired, not retired but I left there and came back to. The, uh, um, Beach, South Carolina, And I, I recognized there there was a lack of, blacks had a tendency not to want to show their faces or something like that. I don't know. There mm-hmm. just wasn't that interesting Black History Week. So we did not exhibit there, but when I retired in 1984, that's when I came to Thomasville, and I definitely realized there was a tendency of black want to show their faces, show mm-hmm. the blackness in an in a, in a open setting. But somehow, it, it caught on, and uh, I had less than a hundred pieces that I had collected from the time 1978 up until 1984 oh, wow. that I used in the collection. I came to Thomasville, and I, I set my exhibit up at my church. I had a deacon named He's the, the uh, Tommy Gable. He liked church history, and he recognized he's deceased now. He recognized that I liked the Black History period. So he said, Jack, why don't, you, why don't you set your exhibit in the basement of the church? And So I did. I set up what pieces I had in the church, and I did that for about two or three years, and then eventually things merged room to the Thomasville Center for the Arts. They used to call it the Culture Center. They approached me by, why don't y'all do your Black... We had gone into Black History Month now, correct? You know, they changed the Black History Month over the period a few years back. And he said, why don't you set your exhibit up in the Culture Center, the green room, because they noticed I had built up enough collections... And people were coming, coming to, to, to wherever I was at. And I sit, I did set up in the, in the Culture Center, and they allowed us to use that whole center for the whole month to do Black History programs. Mm. And uh, Glory Jones, the late jo, Miss Glory Jones, she was the president of Harris Foundation Corporation. She's a now now, but her family still lives in Reverend Dr. Jones. She said, "Jack and my sister Lily Witherspoon, Who they said they they said you need to sort of identify your own self, you know, you know, like entity of your own organization, so you can get public help, mm. finance to help you go. So that's when I that was back in '90, that back in around '95 when I decided to sit down and find out what were they talking about. And I did research nonprofit organization because Harris Foundation nonprofit, so I got some input from them, and I put together that package, got my 501c approved. And uh, the people in this community and around the country has been supporting me ever since, wow. you know. And then cause when I retired from the Air Force after serving 20 years in 1984, wow. I came back home, and uh, I was going to chill out for a year, but I had to change that because in in 1984, Sutherland Packing Company, as a big packing company that that hires about had about 500 people employed, they they did, uh, packing hams and stuff like that, and uh, and kill hogs, they laid off, they closed the plant down, and I went into a panic, mm-hmm. because I said, I got to get a job, man, I need, I'm only 48 years old, and I need to find employment, because the retirement check was okay, but I still needed to, you know, to finance makes the work, because kid's still in college, mm-hmm. and so I went to Southwest State Hospital, and I worked in a print shop, in. uh, and you're talking about a guy dropping from making almost $40,000 a year to just making minimum wages. That was a blow to me. But I took the job mm-hmm. because that was a footstep into the organization. And I did that for about about six months. And I knew that they was I was not going to be permanent. But then I started start studying for the post-exam. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I took the post-exam test and this was 85, 85. I passed it. People hired me, but Reagan froze the jobs for civil service. So I took the post office job and I stayed there 12 years, and uh, at the post office delivered me a downtime. That job opened the doors for me to learn to know a lot of people that could help me today. Wow. Some of them, same people, that helped me today run the museum, well, financial wise. Wow. And so the museum opened up in 2006 uh, from uh, Douglas Alumni. Uh, they own this whole campus out here, owned by the Douglas Alumni Association. I'm one of the alumni. So when we bought it from the Board of Education back in 2002 for to for twenty dollars, then I told the alumni that because they became nonprofit, I organized the alumni. Well, I was the second president of alumni, but I got the tax exempt status for them. Along with the same time, I got my my tax exempt status. So we uh, we 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 got that incorporated, and so we bought the board from the Board of Education. So we occupied this whole building on our campus, seven acres, and all the buildings on the ground, gym. Jim gym in the back, and then two blocks away the football practice field. And so I rent from the alumni and opened the museum in two thousand six. And since two thousand six, since nineteen four, I got over five thousand items on the wall of the museum. Wow. The wall we highlight. And we this is this year, uh the Black History Museum, since we hired a museum educator who actually taken the museum to the classroom, invited students, kids come in, we're gonna be able to see, we have probably seen almost fourteen hundred kids through the Museum just for Black History Month, from January through um, the first of March, middle of March. That's how many kids have float through the Museum, from the school system, as far as Haven, Florida, Valdosta, Georgia, uh, schools in Tummersville, Tallahassee, and, and the surrounding areas. So they've really been coming. So so we've been moving forward, but it still costs a lot of money to, to run this campus, and to run the campus well, and run the school. Cause Doug's alumni takes care of that part. I pay that rent, but I have to raise, raise money here to keep my staff, and even though my museum educator was here on a grant we got from the Institute, Institute of Museum and Library Service, we got a grant to hire him for three years, and his time is up next year. But he's putting together a pilot program. His name is Jamarcus Underwood, a pilot program, and uh, doing a super job. Great guy. Wow. He's young, he's young, and, and uh, he's got a lot of energy. And, and, and we're making some changes, but it's all for the betterment of the kids. And our focus is to educate our young kids, black and white, to get the Get them to understand more about the afro culture, and when we do this, I think we have a better dialogue. of People understanding history. Uh, I'm not saying I'm getting all the school system, but I tell you that the schools that we're working with, the city schools in Thomasville and the county kind of school system, they're working with us 100% with wow. their fourth, fifth, fourth, and eighth graders, and uh, and so we we're, we're blessed. Uh, Thomasville is blessed to have a museum, and you don't find another city in southwest georgia got a museum like this we i said this museum is a mini museum to the national museum of african american culture in washington dc mm-hmm. i've been there i was there. i'm a charter member i went there on the grand open in 2016. it's a great museum and i come back to thomasville because my kids couldn't understand me dad why are you taking pictures of signs but i wanted to see how they interpret their collection and mm-hmm. i use those signs with their credit to them about. You know how they interpret the African search slave section, the buffalo soldiers, the military, all that you see different sides World War one you see different sides of that in the museum because I capture that in history so I think God has blessed us that we 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 uh, and and I, I, and I'm grateful for for that fact that he led me to be here at eighty one years old wow. to take take this mission forward and and just question came this morning my daughter from from Augusta George's dad she said, you know we're getting closer to home now because you know." And hopefully one day we'll be able to come back home and help run the museum when you get to the point well they got about 20 more years to work because they they work and paying off college loans for all the three kids to went to college and themselves they went to college also so i said okay i said well by that time i'll be 100 years old when y'all get back here so i'm hoping the Lord keep me around long enough in strength and health to be able to manage the whole work but i got a non-profit organization a good board board members Super Bowl members and they, they some at large but they working with me. They see the mission. great grant writer. She does great jobs. I've been she, I've been hanging for seventeen years and I have people come to me and say, Would you I write grants for you? I said, No, because I got a younger lady that I know. She knows my she knows my vision. She got a better vision than I do. And I have faith and trust in her. The board have faith and trust in her. And she put together grants that we've been so very successful. In, mm-hmm. the past, in the past, in the past, I guess ten years, we we get small grants, we get large grant, and I'm thankful for my community foundation that really support. I could tell you a few more things that's going to happen, but I'm gonna let you pick that up later. We just got I, I got another week before I can hold off on that. It's mm-hmm. a big thing going to happen in this in this community. Hopeful that the Lord will continue to bless this person that gonna make this happen. But uh, but I got supporters that get gonna make it happen also. But it's up to the person the guy that got it that let go of it. So uh, I could talk more but I'll let you ask the a question that I haven't answered. Yeah. I got guests coming to the museum they probably put up in the yard right now. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so the last question I just have for you is what's one thing you would like or what's one thing you would like the community to remember as we move forward? Well,
2: I, I'd like for Thomasville, Thomas County community to know that we as a Black History Museum we, we, we're we here to highlight our local Black Achievement Unsung Heroes. Too many communities Have people that have cut, I broke the ice, that have integrated the system, but they would never be known. So I'm hoping that 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 the people appreciate what we've done, and that it's been a blessing of God to be able to to that we have the wisdom that I'm be able to share this with a good board. My wife Christine, we've been married for 60 years to make this happen. Also, my kids, three kids, five grands, one great grand, they all supportive of what I'm done. So I'm just blessed.